All right. Hello. What's up? Rich Ryan here, Reinforced Running Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about some of the experiences that I had in High Rocks Dallas. I'm going to give a bit of a brief thoughts on each station uh, after this race. So a practice that I really like to do is just literally writing longhand in some kind of journal while the thoughts are fresh in my head and while that feeling is still there. And one of those things that I came away with is that the is that racing often is helpful. You know, there there's certainly a level of of too much racing and it can be detrimental to recovery, detrimental to training and just hard on like your wallet. <laughs> but uh, there needs to be time where you do kind of back off and, and build to get your fitness to a certain level. But if there is a time where you can race relatively frequently, uh, it, it's it's helpful, especially kind of like a build into an A race in particular, right? So Dallas was my second race in three weeks, which is the first time I've ever done anything really like that with a high rocks. And it, it paid off in a couple of ways because there was some fresh thoughts that were still there from my previous race. And like the feeling was also much more present. The further you get away from a race, the more I'll start to to kind of forget or kind of fall back into patterns that I had previously. And just like thoughts that I had about training and the race. But if it's it's still fresh, I'm able to act on them a little bit more uh more quickly. So that's definitely a benefit to that. And just there's things that I've forgotten in that race. And I was able to kind of test things almost in real time, not necessarily, but three weeks, two races in three weeks is pretty, it's pretty close together, especially for a race that's an hour in duration, which is pretty long and so demanding like Hyrox. So that is something that I do find beneficial. Again, I think that there is a, a tipping point of that, but I think within four weeks is about as long as you could go before you before for me anyway personally I start to kind of fall back into more specific training patterns and racing thoughts but within four weeks you can really remember what that race feels like the and the 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 memory of the race will dissipate as you go on as well and that's important to have in the moments of the race and of like the training and lead up going into it so like the training itself wasn't a tremendous build. It was kind of more of like a maintenance and kind of working more on some different pieces in terms of intensity because I couldn't really take the volume too high for a number of reasons or really kind of build into anything. But now I have a little bit more time to to do that. So I can take this this uh, feedback that I was able to create in these three weeks and now I'm better set for a plan forward. Every time that... I race and also that you race, there is information, there's data, there's learning there. So I'm going to share some of the things that I have felt in each of the stations. I'm just going to go through them all. And some of the things are kind of new thoughts. Some things are working thoughts. Some things are finalized thoughts that I have had and and that are just more affirmed here. So the ski erg, that's nothing special. You don't have to do anything crazy on the ski erg. There is a tendency for athletes to get in here and hammer. And really the only thing that the ski does is kind of set the tone for the race. And you don't really need to have an aggressive tone so early in this race. Uh, an aggressive tone, what, what would that what would that even sound like? What is a what what tone would be aggressive? Like a, like an alarm? You don't need to have like an alarm tone in the or like or or like breaking glass. 
you know, that's aggressive. That's an aggressive tone. I mean, it's mul- probably multiple tones. One tone, I don't know. Someone with music background, let me know it's aggressive. And so I don't think that that's necessary. You know, I don't, if anything, someone after the race kind of was like, oh, we were all out and running at your pace. And they thought that that was probably not where they should have been. But I'm pretty conservative in that first run, the ski, the second run, really through all of those runs, it's fairly consistent. So those early runs of those early runs of stations, it's very easy to feel good and be able to kind of push into. But I don't, I don't think that the, that the ski is really going to do anything. And I, if you if you have the dis, the difference of rowing one fifty or one fifty five, and it's like ten seconds, you could easily make up that time on the next two runs and and feel better. Or even that the next run. Sometimes you come out of that and you need to completely recover going into the sled. So setting yourself into a more consistent tone early, uh, a consistent effort early is important. So the the so it doesn't mean you shouldn't work on skier skier. There is definitely a place for that. But what that's really going to do is not necessarily going to improve your pace on the skier itself. I mean, obviously it can, but it's just going to reduce the the effort that it takes from you. So you have more juice later on. So like building a capacity on the skier is like building mileage and running, right? Like running long, slow miles. It's not necessarily going to make you faster, but it's going to make you a little bit more fatigue resistant. And that's what doing building a bigger capacity is going to do on the skier. So I'd recommend working on it and working on it specifically and, but only, but not so that you can go from a 155 to one 150, but you can go from like a 155 to 153 and have it feel like the 155 from before slightly improved. It's not going to take out. It's not going to take a ton of out of you and you're going to be able to run fairly well. So in terms of the skier, don't go crazy. There's, there's nothing that nothing's really going to going to make or break for that onto the sled push. So the sled push, it is, there's definitely variables. <laughs> there's variables in it. And this isn't like a complaint. This isn't necessarily an excuse, but sometimes the sl- sled, it's just inconsistent. And you will like the carpet might not be, uh, you might not get a good lane. There, there might be some different factors of the sled itself on the bottom. Like we don't get to see the bottom of these sleds and I'm sure they are messed up because they go slow. Newer sleds are going to slide a little bit better. These ones, like I think that they're just wacky. And that means each sled, the bottom of each sled is potentially different because of the wear and tear that it's taken that we don't know how long they've been out there, what they're doing to them in between, like how they load them, unload them, how they get traveled around. They're probably pretty beat up on the bottom. So there is a chance that you just get a bad sled lane and that that is something that happens. And that I felt that that happened to me in Dallas and it's happened to other athletes before, like Dave McGee, notably at the North American championships in 2022, they happened to Cole Schwartz in Dallas in 2022 as well where like the dude had like an eight minute sled push or something like that and he's a big strong dude he can push a sled he's done it in the past so he just got a bad lane and so i so for the sled push very important to keep your cool across a couple of different aspects it's very easy to overextend on a sled push in order to keep up with the competition because everybody's moving together and everybody's moving kind of slow. So just a little bit of effort is will we'll make up a, a good amount of distance in, in that station. 
where you should kind of stick to your plan and whatever that plan is, if it's uh, uh, going off RPE where you're like, okay, this is about as fast as I could go before I feel like I will kind of blow up. If it's a step, if it's step-based, more quantifiable, it's like I'm going to do 12 steps and then rest for five seconds. Whatever that plan is, have it and stick to it. What's going on around you, that's just kind of noise and that's something that's going to help is, is more going to heat you up and put you toward that red line where just keep your cool, keep your cool on the sleds. Don't go crazy. And if you get a bad lane, just accept it. Just accept it, that that's what it is for the day. It doesn't mean your race is over. It means that there might be aspects that you can improve on later. Like you might get a good sled later on, but in that moment, there's nothing you could really do. So you just have to stick with that plan. Keep your cool and don't fight it. Like, Yesterday, I would get to points where it would just stop. Like it wasn't that I was out of juice and I had to slow down and stop, but the sled would just stop. So instead of like taking me out of my plan, we're trying to I actually, instead of consistently trying to put to execute that plan, which would be like getting X amount of distance, getting X amount of steps. When that sled stopped, I just stopped and I just had to kind of regroup and hope that I caught a smooth patch to execute the plan later. But there was points where it was just hitting something and it was stopping. And I don't know how to predict it. I don't know what it looks like. And there's just elements that we're going to have to deal with in this sport. And I don't even think it's fixable. You know, it's just like so random and there's just things that you can't quite tell. And it would, it just isn't going to line up ever even if like you're looking at the sledge looking at the carpet like i'm gonna pick this lane i'm gonna get here there i don't think it's gonna be doable to 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 really understand when you're gonna get a bad sled but sometimes you're gonna get a bad sled and that's just the way it is and if if you accept it you can just hope that you're okay then uh that's the main part so and another thing is just i think that it is clear again something that I've, i've talked about in previous podcasts is how the sled it would will catch up if you overextend and it catches up pretty quick. I think most people can push a sled relatively fast if they just pushed all of their effort into that one spot. And I think you could even tough out the next thousand meters in a way that is not sustainable, but is, but you can do right. So you can push a sled really hard and run fairly well on that next uh, uh, run next thousand meters. But if it doesn't, if depending on your fitness, it's either going to catch up on the burpee, uh, I'm sorry, on the sled pull right away. <laughs> so you're immediately getting that feedback of, huh, I'm a little tired here. So I'm going to go a little bit slower on the sled push and sled pull and sled pulls a lot about hustle. Honestly, it's how quick you can get back to the position, the, the front of the box and how quickly you can run the transitions and not dropping the rope. It's e- once you get overextended, you need to, and you need to get that heart rate down because you, it, you've probably spiked it from, the push into the, into a hard run to, to try to maintain your position early in this race, which is super long. It doesn't matter. Either it comes back right away at the sled pull or it's going to come back on the burpee broad jumps. And like, that's another one. That's a little bit, it's more about hustle. It's managing your effort and you need to be in a fairly consistent state during that burpee broad jump. And if you get there and like it, you're just going to feel like you have to slow down because it's so difficult and you really kind of overextend it and, and you're going to give it back. And then, you know, the back half of the race, maybe you can recover. I've seen that happen. People do come back. You know, you sit down on the row. I can bring your heart rate down a little bit, beats up your legs, but it brings your heart rate down. The farmer's carry brings everything down. So you can certainly recover after a tough pull or burpee broad jumps, very tough mentally and also very hard physically. <laughs> so keep your cool during the sled push. It, it, it matters less than you think. And if you get a bad, if you get a bad uh, carpet lane, it's going to happen. 
just deal with it. I literally told myself that, that that was like, ah, oh, I was like, shit, I have a bad lane today. And it was frustrating for that moment. But as soon as I was out of that station, I was back onto my plan and I, I couldn't really think about it. I didn't really look at my watch the, literally in the entire race. Um, within the stations, I was looking at it during the laps. Like what I like to do is picking a spot, usually the out, hitting it as soon as I go out, seeing what my time is at the out on the, fr- on the next lap and, and all the way through, just so I can see if I'm staying consistent with my runs. Or if I have a plan to Im- increase the speed of my runs, I know that uh, I know how to kind of execute that. So that's just based off of like one lap of the course, which is inconsistent from course to course. So I just do it for that day. And that's the only time I really look at my watch. Every other thing, I had no idea how fast my sled push was or my sled pull or any of my stations really. It was just kind of maintaining, maintaining a specific effort. All right. So on to the sled pull. I think I'm on to something here in terms of the training for this. I spoke about it with the podcast with Meg Jacoby and uh, a little bit at, on my Houston recap as well, that there is some work that can be done in the gym that is going to be very specific to this uh, and particularly doing like rack pulls and sled drags. I don't, I can't say for sure. I put in some work on this, but I, I can't say for sure how effective it is, but uh, I think it's, I think I'm onto something with this sled pull. Also just the, the, the hustle of it. Now something that uh, I was talking to my buddy, Ryan Kent before the, before the race. And he's just like, you just, just hustle through it. Don't be lazy during it because it is that, you know, if like you're kicking the rope out of the way, you're not picking it up, which I have done. I did that in Houston and I was slower. It, the, the car, I think I had a bad carpet lane there because I, and I, I made a point to hustle, try to work the entire box no matter what that means. One thing that I did to change up, if I pull, if I was pulling back on the bot, pulling back on the sled, and for whatever reason, it got to a sticking point. I didn't all the way regroup on the box. If I still had half of the box left, I just reached forward and pulled it right there just to make the turnover time a little bit quicker. And just with hustle, a decent lane, I was able to take a minute off of my time from Houston to Dallas, which was a very heavy emphasis point. So I have some, I'm collecting some data here. I'm going to have something a little bit more uh, played out so that you understand, so that I can understand exactly what, how to, how to kind of put it. And I'll make sure to keep you guys filled in, you know, if you have, you, you can check it out. Maybe probably on the podcast, definitely on YouTube. Those videos will be coming for sure. Make sure you subscribe to both because you don't want to miss that information. It seems like good information, you know, for burpee broad jump. So I've decided there are four viable options in terms of form for the burpee broad jump. There is the jump back, hop forward. You see Hunter do this. There is the jump back, step forward, I think was popularized by Lauren Weeks. And pretty much everybody does this, this type of, of, uh, of form for the burpee broad jumps. Uh, the step, I mean, yeah, step back, hop forward, and then the step back, step forward. So basically choosing one of these four and figuring out where it works for you. The first one, jump back. Hop forward, it's probably going to be the fastest, but it's also going to be the most demanding. And it's just the cadence and the rate in which you're going is up. So if you're not controlled at the Brippy Broad Jumps or you're not, if you have overextended at any point, you might need to take a little bit of time on these Brippy Broad Jumps to really help yourself recover. And these are really great because like, like you can stay low, like you see how Hunter does them and he's right into, right into his Burpee and there's no real wasted time. But 
very demanding because that the cadence stays high. So if you're not under control, this is this could potentially blow you up. And if you try to press this, this is, it's not a great place to blow up. And it's not, you're not gonna save a ton of time. Jump back, step forward. This is an effective method. If it's a, it's a little bit slower than the hop forward, but you're able to kind of control it a little bit more. You can step into different, uh, different places. You can maximize the space between your feet and your hands. You can step all the way up and get that jump going. Some drawbacks to this. It is, and just anytime you're going to jump, to jump back, there's going to be an issue with where your hands are placed, like to your feet, they're going to crack down on this. And usually because that momentum is carrying you forward, your hands are going to get a little bit in front of your, in front of your feet more than that foot. Even if you think you're doing it completely right and you're you're trying your best to, to hold the standard, chances are you're going to overdo it and it depends on the judge. And then with your and on the jump back step forward, you can kind of get hit on both ends with where your hands are diving forward and also where your foot is stepping up. They're going to crack down on they have been cracking down on the staggered uh having your feet staggered. So my understanding of the rule was that you could step up with like your left foot and then if that's behind your hands your right foot and you can step up with your right foot as well and that was also behind your hands that's good that's a good rep in the rules that reads as a good rep to me it doesn't really state that your feet have to match it just says that your feet can't go beyond your hands and but what can happen is that your hands are coming up as that left foot is already up so your right foot can easily step beyond where your hands were and it makes it really hard to judge so i'm guessing Next year or pre any years, they're they're just going to be like you can't do that at all. There can't be any stagger, and they're starting to call people that on uh, call people on that right now. That happened to Anasahuri at uh, during when we were going back and forth in the burpee broad jumps. The, his last broad jump, he took a step in front of his other foot, and the judge made him go back. You know, we haven't seen we were critical on the judges in in high rocks because they don't they aren't strict enough, but they're starting to be. You know, and that happened as at the race leader. You know, had to go back, which is a good a good sign for the judging here, but a bad sign if you want to try to, to fiddle with this, you know, so make sure that you are matching those feet. And um, so with that step forward, and if you're going to step forward, it almost feels like you need to take a three quarter step with that back leg. I found that if I like, I'm trying to match this, my foot just naturally goes in front of the other one. And it, it it's going to get called a no rep on that, but it's a little bit more, um, it's a little bit more controlled. So the step back, hop forward, this is a way to control yourself on the way back. And if you hop forward, you get a little bit of that stretch reflex and a faster jump forward. So you're moving a little bit quicker to me, it seems like from that from that jump up to the jump out. So this, again, is probably a little bit more costly than the step forward, but it's quicker. And you do get time to control on the way down. Where I really like this is when you're stepping back, you can really control where your hands are landing and you're not going to get called. They like that. The judges like where like to see where your hands are and making it clear because your hands are almost as you're stepping back, you can almost see your hands with your front foot that's still stationary. It's like clear to see. So you won't get called on that. And it's a little bit more of a control. Or you can step back and, and step forward. You know, just making sure you're not uh stagger stepping. This is if you've overextended at any of these parts bef- in the early station early stations then I would recommend this. You will probably not go as fast as possible, but it won't be de- as detrimental to the runs and everything after. So 
That's so what I think an appropriate way to do is to have some sort of combination of them all. So, or having some sort of sequence that works. I haven't played around with this enough to really have any type of suggestion because it can't, I was trying to fiddle around with this yesterday and I was getting a little confused. <laughs> like I didn't want to do the step back, step forward. Cause I was still feeling okay. So I didn't want to go super slow, but if I was hopping back some stepping back others, I would just get a little confused and uh, would kind of get out of, out of rhythm. So I'd recommend having some sort of sequence or having some sort of plan or just sticking with one and just doing that all, all the time. Farmers, farmers matters a little bit more than I want to admit. And it's just going to be a matter of frequency, volume and speed. Um, there's some time to be made up there. I even, I went unbroken yesterday and there was still 10 seconds that uh, other athletes put on me just from being faster. And, um, so there's there's time to be made up on there. I haven't thought a ton about farmers. I will. On the lunges. The lunges are something I just need to get into the lab and figure out a little bit better. I think uh, doing a little bit higher volume sets with heavier weight and then also doing speed sets. Kind of doing a lot of work and doing some muscular endurance sets where we're kind of doing a combination of things that are going to tax the legs. Because I was just... Uh, that this was something that was just slow. And that was something I kind of told myself, I said, just go slow and steady. Don't break. Don't have long pauses and just kind of get through them. But there was still a little bit too slow. Uh, I think the person who Austin Azar had the fastest and he was like 224. I was closer to 320. You know, so that right there, there's a minute right on, on the table at that for just that station. And also being able to run after. Run after there was also another thing. And I know, and I know that I'm not alone on this. And during that run, it could be a matter of trying to conserve to go into wall balls. But I kind of think that's an excuse that at least that I'm making is like, uh, okay, let's have a little juice going into those wall balls. But I don't think that that's going to matter too much for wall balls if you are conditioned and if you're hitting the right spots in this race. So I think running hard after lunges is something that's trainable and it's something that is uh, hard to do because it's so late in the the race that you're not always going to be, you're, you're rarely going to be able to replicate this in training, like how it feels after all that accumulation, but there's still some merit to blowing up your legs and then trying to run. It's definitely trainable. It's just something that, uh, probably just haven't done because uh, I just don't want to. And I'm going to have to, there's a full minute of time for me on that station alone. And all of the runnings are done. Like I've, I'm there and there's one more run to do. So if I can work on just that transition, and if this is a transition that you struggle with, it's also a transition everybody struggles with that run. So there's a lot of time on that back run to make up. If you like just of my runs yesterday, it was 30 seconds slower than all the rest. All of the rest were just about within one to two seconds from each other, except that last one, 30 seconds. That's wild. That's a ton of time there. And that's probably a, 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 some effort. It's fatigue setting in. And again, just that voice in my head that was like, hey, you got to do okay in these wall balls. Just be chill. Just be chill. But if I take those 30 seconds off, that's not going to add 30 seconds to my wall balls, I don't think. If anything, maybe it adds, I don't know, 15 and I'm still 15 seconds faster. Maybe. And I think that that's trainable going from a hard run into wall balls. So that's going to be a big, big focus of mine as well. Okay. So wall balls are just hard, man. I don't want to tell you that feeling is not like a feeling that you normally get. So there's definitely uh, room to improve. I did a good job of improving uh, from Houston to this one. It took about 20 seconds of my total time in wall balls. And I'm happy about that. Uh, one thing that happened in this is that like the fatigue in my legs 
uh, ended up and my just like global fatigue kind of overtook everything else. It to me, it's not breathing. I get there and I can breathe okay. Like it's the the breathing and just like that type of exhaustion isn't like that you would get on a run or something. Isn't the isn't what I'm experiencing on that. So I think that doing more wall balls, heavier wall balls, and just building up fatigue and building up some fatigue resistance in the wall balls is where I'm going to have to really put my focus in the next four or five weeks because I need to, uh, I, I still have, so that I can run for hard in that last one and still do the wall balls well. So I think that there, for me, there's a lot of time in that back two to three two stages, the lunges into that run, ton of time there. And I think that wall ball, and I think the wall balls won't suffer if I do it appropriately. So one thing I was telling myself on a mental side of things, I was giving myself an out after, but I had to do 10 more, right? It's like, that's a 30. And I was like, okay, you can rest at 40. And then I got to 40 and I was like, okay, you can rest at 50. Eventually, I think I rested somewhere in that mid fifties. And I tried to keep that same conscious decision-making throughout the remainder of the hundred, there was a point where I was just getting to failure, which is, which is good because usually it's my shoulders get fatigued or my mind kind of craps out on me, but this was physical. So I'm happy that it's physical over mental. Cause this is really a mental battle as well. And if you stop and you're walking around, you're taking big steps backwards, like that's mental for me. I'm not going to move away from that wall ball. If I drop it, I'm going to stand there. I'm just going to pick it right back up and it's going to keep going. Just so like almost no rest at all, just really fast transitions. And that's just hustle. That's just effort. And if you can do five that way and then rest for a second and then do five more, I'd rather that than doing 10 and then resting for 10 seconds. You know, that's it's, I would rather just hustle through that and finish that way grabbing that ball right away and picking it up and just seeing how it feels. Another thing I was, that's was I was trying to do as well is like judging how my throw was going on to the target to determine where my fatigue level is. If it's clearly over that line, if it's like well over it and it's not overextending me, then I know I have juice. It's not, it's not physical. It's mental that I want to stop. And, but when it got pretty close to not getting over that line, I was like, okay, this is physical. I might need to stop too. So I don't get no reps and wasting my energy. Luckily that didn't really happen. There was some that were pretty questionable there at the end, but, uh, but that was, that's when the physical was coming in. So I'm happy that the mental part is coming along because that's a big part of this wall ball game. If you're being honest with yourself, if I'm being honest with myself, it's like, did I push, did I push where I wanted to go to? Could I have done more? Was it physical or was it a physical not able to complete it? Or was it a mental not willing to go there? And with that, with the race almost over, it's really nice to just be like, you know, everything went well so far. Let me just uh, let me just cruise on in. You know, people don't know how tired I am, and I'm tired. But so I'm happy with that. Definitely some fixable parts there, and yeah, I have some cool workouts that I'm that I'm thinking that are not maybe not cool, but they're going to be pretty gnarly leading in. And I'll make sure to do some kind of recap about about what that's going to look like. And I'm not sure if that'll be podcast or YouTube. Subscribe to both. Subscribe to both. Shout out to all the competitors out there who the the the, the depth in the U.S. field is or the north american field i should say is there's no joke anymore right like you can't come and you can't hope to to get some kind of uh, like just arrive on the podium or be in that top 10 without really bringing it you know uh even even in this in this field there were it was stacked between guys who came into the race between 63 and 66 and it really played out that way there were Seven dudes under like right around 67 and under, which is really strong, you know, and there is, you know, Marcus Wallace who finished second, he was 61, 33. He's going to be 
legitimately a problem and he'll be fighting for that as only a second race he is really strong has some running acumen to him and has a lot of the pieces there already it's just a matter of building that engine for him and i think he's really going like he's he's one to watch out for anasahuri put together his best race he was aggressive from the front he really and his fitness is there you know his fitness is really strong cleans up a couple things here or there in in terms of i don't know just pacing potentially or or uh, and just like but this was a huge improvement for him this is a huge improvement for him and like he has that ability everybody knows it but he just needs to to put it together and he's starting to figure it out and that's that's scary cuz he's a guy who can run as fast as anybody in the entire world that does high rocks. Austin Azar put it together. He had a tough one in New York where he was close. He was thinking he was like 68, 70 minutes, but he had a tough footwear problem, but he looks the part, man. He's big. He's, he's strong. He hammered the stations so he can move well. And he has like endurance background. He's, you know, he's up toward 90 miles at world stuff. as He's been top 10 at Spartan race world championships a couple of times. Uh, Joe Kilmer, he keeps getting better and better. Just a 64 in Houston, 62-43 out of the slow heat. They, so for some reason, it wasn't in the, the regular heat. So he's, again, someone to watch. Gunther Klaus, who's been on the podcast, you know, he's out there doing strange warm-ups. That's what he's doing. You know, it's working about his rib cage. And then he gets there and crushes the stations. Really, really crushes the stations. Is now is now down to sixty three forty four. Really good effort for him. Matt McClain, this is his first time, his first run at it. 6617 in his first attempt. Really strong. Fast guy out there. So this is like and it, it just keeps going and going. And there's a lot of athletes who are going to make a splash here. So again, I mentioned this last time. If you're gonna show up to this, you've got to be prepared. If you're gonna mix it up in this top 10, you're gonna be fighting some animals. The depth is coming along. You know, if I look back at these results from even two or three years ago, it wasn't like this. It wasn't like and these times weren't like this. If you were, you could get on the podium morning, like a 67 back then. Now. Yeah. You're fighting to be in the top 10. Things are coming along. Athletes are good. People are training for this. So make sure you bring it as well. Good time to plug the training program, 12 week training program for myself, for Meg Jacoby. Check them out. There's con- there is a consistent, what is it? group coaching that I have as well? It's just programming $39 a month. So if you need some inspiration, how to, like, if you want to see what these workouts look like in practice, how they're kind of coming along, that's the place where I, I kind of put them first. And so those athletes are, are getting some results for sure. All right. That's it. I'll see you.